السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدًا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله 
وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam his life story his sacred biography presents us with a holistic blueprint a blueprint of every possible condition the ummah can experience after him the seerah all of the events that took place in the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions mirrors personalities, situations, events, and patterns of human behavior. This means that the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ is forever relevant to us as an ummah. And in the next few weeks, insha'Allah ta'ala, we wish to reflect on a chapter of the Qur'an that describes a part of that seerah. A chapter of the Qur'an that presents all of us with universal principles of social and personal development. And this chapter of the Qur'an that we want to reflect on in the next few weeks is absolutely critical for any individual and any community. That chapter is known as Suratul Hujurat. The 49th chapter of the Quran, Suratul Hujurat. The name Hujurat comes from the word Hujra, and Hujra refers to the small houses or chambers of the Prophet Sallallahu and his wives. And this chapter is called Suratul Hujurat because it mentions in the very beginning those individuals who behaved rudely and inconsiderately with the Prophet Sallallahu outside of his homes. This chapter, dear brothers and sisters, Suratul Hujurat is a late Madani chapter, meaning it was revealed in the latter period of the Medinan phase. Most likely it was revealed after Fathu Mecca, after the opening of Mecca, when most of Arabia had come under the authority of the Prophet And as such, this chapter addresses the complexities of large societies. In a nutshell, this chapter, dear brothers and sisters, is a chapter about how to live in a community. And this chapter begins by mentioning the proper etiquette that one must have towards the Prophet ﷺ, showing us that the foundation of any social cohesion is going to be in uprightness and adab, respect, towards the person of the Prophet And today, inshallah, we're just going to explore the first theme in this chapter. 
And that first theme centers on the personality, the person of the final prophet and messenger, Sayyiduna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. He sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam is the axis of society. He is the center of gravity for the community, the ummah as a whole. For its preservation, he is that center of gravity. And therefore, he must be respected more than anyone else. For the preservation of that reverence and respect towards him is the basis for the survival and the flourishing of the ummah. He is the axis of this order. What personality can be higher? And which axis can weigh heavier than that of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam? Furthermore, it is a condition of Iman, a condition of faith in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and knowing the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam to show respect, to have adab, and have decorum in how we are with respect to him sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. But before we talk about the person of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam mentioned in the beginning of this chapter, we need to understand and reflect on the very first phrase with which this chapter opens. And this phrase is repeated in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of this chapter, and this phrase is also mentioned in several other chapters of the Qur'an. And that is the phrase that we're all aware of, where Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. We hear this phrase often in the Qur'an, but what does it mean? Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who have believed. Have we reflected on the significance of this phrase and why Allah uses it so often in the Qur'an? Dear brothers and sisters, when Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who have believed, He begins with the Ya. And the Ya in Arabic is known as Nida. It is a vocative. And in the science of Arabic, typically the Ya or O is used for addressing someone who is at some distance away or someone who has a very high rank. It is pointing one's attention to either the physical distance or one who has a lofty status. So when Allah Ta'ala is addressing us in the Qur'an with Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, it is not due to physical distance as such, but rather Allah Ta'ala is addressing us as our Rabb, our Lord, our Nourisher, our Sustainer, the lofty and exalted who has supreme authority and supreme rank. As human beings, we have a rank. We have a martaba. What is our rank? Our martaba, our rank is rubudiyah. It is servitude to Allah Ta'ala. We are Abd and He is the Rabb. And the martaba of Allah Ta'ala is rububiyya, absolute sovereignty, absolute lordship in godhood. So how can these two compare, that of the abd and that of the rabb? So Allah Ta'ala addresses us in the Qur'an with ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, using ya to draw our attention to this rank, 
so that we open our hearts and our ears to receive what he is going to say. When you look into the Quran, dear brothers and sisters, you find that most of the du'as of the prophets that Allah mentions in the Quran do not actually begin with Ya Allah. You find that the prophets address Allah Ta'ala with the title of Rabb. Adam alayhi salam, for instance, says, Rabbana zalamna anfusana. O our Rabb, our Lord, we have wronged ourselves. Prophet Nuh alayhi salam and Ibrahim alayhi salam, they say, Rabbi ghfirli wali walidai. O my Lord, forgive me and my parents. Prophet Musa alayhi salam says, Rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli. O my Lord, I have wronged myself, so forgive me. The young men in the cave mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf, they also address Allah Ta'ala with Rabb, saying, Rabbana atina min ladunka rahma. O our Lord, give us from you a mercy. And the believers as well, after the Muhajirun and the Ansar, what does Allah say about them? They pray by saying, Rabbana ghfir lana wa li ikhwanina alladhina sabakuna bil iman. O our Lord, forgive us and those who preceded us from our brethren in faith, and so on. But when Allah Ta'ala addresses the believers with, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, both in this chapter and in other chapters, Allah Ta'ala is honoring us. Allah is honoring us when He says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, because He is addressing us with the title of Iman, with faith, with sure belief and conviction. When Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, He is encouraging the believers to pay close attention to what He's going to give them, showing them that whether this is a command, or a prohibition, it is linked to their iman. Whatever he gives them after that is linked to their iman. So they must pay close attention and hasten to fulfill whatever he has commanded or prohibited. And because Allah Ta'ala addresses the believers with, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, we understand that the fulfillment of that verse is linked to the perfection of our Iman, and that is the thing that distinguishes us from hypocrites, munafiqun. So what does Allah Ta'ala say in the very first part of Surah Al-Hujurat? He begins with that address, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, and then he says, La tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasulih, wattaqullaha inna allaha sami'un alim. O you who believe, O you who have Iman, do not put yourselves forward before Allah and His Messenger and be mindful of Allah. Indeed, Allah is all-hearing, all-knowing. That is how he begins this chapter, telling us not to put ourselves forward before Allah and His Messenger. Now, according to the scholars of Tafsir, there are different narrations about the sababun nuzul, or the reason why that verse was revealed, or the circumstances that were occurring before the ayah was revealed. One narration mentions that this ayah was revealed because on the day of Eid al-Adha, some of the Muslims had sacrificed their animals 
before the Prophet ﷺ sacrificed his and before even the prayer itself. And the Prophet ﷺ told them to never repeat that again. And this ayah was revealed. Do not put yourselves forward before Allah and His Messenger. Another narration mentions that the reason why this verse was revealed is because there were people in the community who were saying to themselves in their private conversations, you know what? It will be good if revelation, wahi, came down talking about this and that issue, such and such issue. It would be good if an ayah was revealed addressing this or that issue. And so Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse correcting those people because it is not for us to anticipate Allah's revelation on a particular issue. It is not for us, dear brothers and sisters, to put ourselves forward before Allah in His Messenger with our preconceived notions. This is not the role of the believer. The role of the believer is to await the divine instruction. Now, what are some examples of that? What are some examples of people who put themselves forward before Allah and His Messenger One can put themselves forward by thinking they know better. One can put themselves forward by projecting their biases, projecting their wants or their assumptions onto the Prophet How is this done? You actually hear it. If you pay attention, you sometimes hear people do this when they say, well, if the Prophet was alive, he would say this, or he would do this, or he would dress this way or dress that way. You hear people say this. They'll say, well, in that time, he dressed a certain way. If he was alive today, he would dress this way or that way, or he would act in this way or that way. And they have no idea. They are projecting their own biases. They are projecting their own conceptions of what is right and wrong or best in a given time and assuming that that's automatically how the Prophet ﷺ would conform. This is putting themselves forward. A person also puts themselves forward before Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger ﷺ when they chart their own course without consulting the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. This is called istighna. Basically charting out your own course. I'll do it my way. But this deen is the deen of Islam. The way of heartfelt submission to the divine. This deen is not a Burger King religion where you have it your way. The mu'min and the mu'mina, the believing man or woman, follows the path of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. It is his way and he communicates the way of Allah as Allah has revealed to him sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Dear brothers and sisters, another way people put themselves forward before Allah and His Messenger is when they are not pleased with what Allah Ta'ala has said about a ruling or a matter or they put themselves forward by not being pleased with the judgment of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam. So this verse establishes that the only meaningful relationship 
we can have with Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is compliance and obedience and following what has been brought by the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This deen, dear brothers and sisters, is not a blank canvas on which we can paint whatever we want and call it religion. It is not that at all. It is ittiba'ah, it is istislamu lillah, it is following the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam. It is submitting to the divine will, purposeful following, following. It is not for a Muslim to bring forth something that has no basis in the deen. And by basis we mean something that is in conformity with the specific instructions of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or what agrees with the general principles derived from the Qur'an and the way of the Prophet It's not for a believer to put themselves forward in adopting beliefs or practices or ideologies or theories that are at odds with the guidance of Allah and His Messenger And I give you the statement of one of the great Imams in the past who exemplified what it means to follow this guidance. The great Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he mentions, لَوْ أَنَّ قَوْمًا عَبَدُ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَصَامُوا رَمَضَانَ وَحَجُّوا الْبَيْتَ ثُمَّ قَالُوا لِشَيْءٍ صَنَعَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَلَا صَنَعَ خِلَافَ مَا صَنَعَ أو وجدوا في أنفسهم حرجا مما صنع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لكانوا مشركين أي كافرين. He said, were there a people who worship Allah, who establish the prayer, who pay the zakat, who make hajj to the sacred house, and then after all of that they say regarding anything which the Prophet ﷺ did, why did he do that? Why didn't he do something different? Would that he had done something different than what he did? If they do all of those things, but then they say this, They would be guilty of disbelief because of this opposition. And then he recited the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِي مَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتْ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا Allah says, certainly no, by your Lord. They will not truly believe until they make you the judge in matters of dispute that arise among them. And thereafter, they find no ill feelings towards your judgment and they submit wholeheartedly. Why would we ever submit wholeheartedly to the Prophet ﷺ with sam'a and ta'a, with hearing and obedience? It's because we have confidence. It's because we have iman. It's because we have conviction. That he is at tabibul a'zam. He is the supreme physician of the hearts. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. 
and with the certainty that he knows the diseases and he knows the cure and he gives us the remedy. And his instructions are the cure for all of our problems. And he, in his way, is the means to true health that extends into the hereafter. Dear brothers and sisters, this is a very simple and basic reality that we have to remind ourselves of. When you look at the guidance of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, you realize that there are only three possibilities. There are only three possible stances a person can take with respect to the guidance of Allah and His Messenger Either we hear and we obey, full of iman and conviction that the guidance is with Allah and His Messenger. Or we hear and we obey, or we say we hear and we obey. And we have iman and conviction that guidance is indeed with Allah and His Messenger. And we know that we should be obeying them, but our iman is weak. We struggle with our egos. We struggle with fulfilling those commands and we occasionally go against them. But we know in the depths of our heart that we are wrong for that and we need to make tawbah and we desire to live up to that ideal of sama' and ta'ah, of hearing and obeying. The third possibility is that we put ourselves forward ahead of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam to justify our own opposition to their commands with fanciful ideas, desires, and wants. It is far better. The most superior path is, of course, number one. And if you cannot be number one, then at least we can admit our struggle and be among group two, who at least acknowledge that reality and strive to overcome our weaknesses without trying to justify our weaknesses with post hoc rationalizations which put ourselves forward ahead of Allah and His Messenger The third group is the group of hypocrites. So either be from number one, and if you can't be from number one, be number two, who acknowledge the right of Allah and His Messenger over us in obedience, without trying to change or justify or put ourselves forward, while acknowledging our weakness and our failure to meet that high standard. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to meet that high standard. May Allah allow us to be those people of sama' and ta'ah, of hearing and obedience, of submission to the will of Allah and the guidance of His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam. May Allah keep us from being among those who put themselves forward with their fanciful ideas or ideologies or biases or presuppositions ahead of the guidance of Allah and His Messenger. May Allah protect us from that. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa afturu salati wa atamu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen. وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين وبعد. Dear brothers and sisters, after this first verse where Allah Ta'ala addresses us with the title of Iman, 
telling us not to put ourselves forward before Allah and His Messenger. In the second verse, He addresses us once again with the title of Iman. This time He says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi wa la tajharu lahu bilqawli kajahri ba'dikum libaad an tahbata a'malukum wa antum la tashurun. Allah Ta'ala says, O you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet. And do not make your calling out to the Messenger like you are calling out to one another. This is the second instruction Allah gives us. Dear brothers and sisters, like the previous verse, this verse also has certain circumstances behind the scenes things that were happening shortly before the ayah was revealed. In one narration, it is mentioned that some people from Banu Tamim, from the Nejd, which in that time was like the countryside in the far eastern part of Arabia, a group from Banu Tamim came all the way from the Nejd to Medina to give their bay'ah, their pledge of loyalty, to the Prophet being brand new Muslims and being uneducated regarding the decorum one should have in his presence, they came outside of his home and they began raising their voice saying, Oh Muhammad, come out and let us pledge our loyalty to you. And they kept calling his name like this. And soon thereafter, Allah Ta'ala revealed this ayah saying, O you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger and do not make your calling out to him like your calling out to each other. In another narration, we see that this verse was revealed about another incident. This time it wasn't brand new Muslims. It was actually none other than the senior most of the companions Sayyiduna Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu and Sayyiduna Umar al-Faruq radiyallahu anhu. It is mentioned by Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiyallahu anhu that shortly before this ayah was revealed as that delegation of Banu Tamim was making its way to Medina and as they entered Medina Sayyiduna Abu Bakr and Umar had this conversation between themselves and it became a bit of an argument. Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu he said that Al-Qa'qa ibn Ma'bad ibn Zarara is the one who sent this delegation from Banu Tamim. But Umar had a different opinion. He said, no, it was instead it was Al-Aqra ibn Habis. He's the one who sent them here. And so Abu Bakr says, no. And Umar says, yes, it's Al-Aqra. And they begin going back and forth until Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, you just want to contradict me because they're always competing with each other. And then their voices raised somewhat and they were right outside the house of the Prophet ﷺ. And then Allah Ta'ala revealed this ayah, this verse, saying, O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet and do not make your calling out to, one, to the Prophet, the Messenger, as you call out to each other. And when this ayah was revealed, Abdullah ibn Zubayr says, as recorded by Al-Bukhari, after this incident occurred, Umar radiallahu anhu would only 
utter the statements of the Prophet ﷺ in a low voice like this, as if he's telling people a secret until they could hear the hadith clearly. He did not raise his voice above the voice of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning when he cited his statements. That's how seriously he took this verse and saw that it applied to him. Dear brothers and sisters, what this ayah teaches us some 1400 plus years later is that we are not to address or speak about the Prophet ﷺ the way we address our peers. We are not to speak about him or talk about him in, in the same way that we talk with our friends or about our friends. He's not our equal. We're not his peer. The only possible relationship a mu'min can have with him is one of humility, one of following, one of submission, one of adab and ta'zeem and honor. That's the only relationship a believer can have with the Prophet ﷺ. This means that as believers, we are not to speak about the Prophet ﷺ in a lackadaisical manner, speaking about him loosely, using his first name as we would speak about our friends or our equals. You go around different masajid, in North America and perhaps elsewhere, it's not uncommon to hear people on the mimbar of the Prophet saying, Muhammad this, Muhammad that, Muhammad, 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 as if he's just a regular person. They use his first name without even a shred of respect. They use it in a very loose manner. That is not the adab we should have with him. The companions did not speak about him in this manner. They would say Rasulullah or Nabiullah. And when they used the name Muhammad, it was reciting the Quran or reciting the Tashahud or in some poetry or for a rhetorical need. But they did not speak loosely about him as they would address or speak about their peers. How they would address him was a way of respect. And when you go into the Qur'an, you see that we derive that teaching from Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. Allah Jalla Jalaluhu never addressed the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam directly with his first name. Yes, the name Muhammad is in the Qur'an. Muhammadun Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But look at how Allah addresses him. One of the unique qualities of the Prophet Muhammad in the Qur'an is that when you look at the other Prophets in the Qur'an, you see Allah always addresses them with their first name. Ya Yahya khudil kitaba biquwa. He addresses Yahya with his first name. And Zakaria, he addresses Isa السلام, with his first name. And Ibrahim and Musa. He addresses all of the previous prophets with their first name. But never does he address his Habib وسلم, with his first name. He always addresses him with the title Rasulullah, Nabiullah, Ya ayyuhal Rasul, Ya ayyuhal Nabi, Ya ayyuhal Muddathir, Ya ayyuhal Muzammil. Allah addresses him with these titles. 
So if that is Rabbul Izza Jalla Jalaluhu who addresses him with titles, what say you of the ordinary believer? How should we speak about him? So it teaches us how to have adab in how we address him, how we speak about him, and relate to him, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Now the scholars mention that this prohibition of raising one's voice above the voice of the Prophet is not referring to people who raise their voices with words of disrespect because that would be kufr, that would be disbelief. But Allah addresses the mu'minun. Ya amanu. O you who have iman, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet that proves that their raising of their voice was through ordinary words, otherwise permissible words, but done in a way that is lacking in proper respect and decorum. If that's the, sake, if that's the case with ordinary words, what about the one who raised his, his voice above the voice of the Prophet by objecting to his guidance? What about the one who raises his voice to argue about following his way, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Likewise, dear brothers and sisters, from this ayah, the ulama have concluded and deduced that just as one must be silent and listen attentively when the Qur'an is recited, one must also be silent and listen attentively when the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are being read. So when his words are being read in the hadith, it is not for a believer to interrupt them or to raise their voice above the voice of whoever is reading his blessed words, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, as the scholars say, Hurmatuhu fil fil hayat. His sanctity after his passing is exactly the same as his sanctity in his physical life, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. These are just the first two verses of Surah Al-Hujurat which begin addressing the community by addressing the axis of the community, the center of gravity of the community, and that is the person of the Prophet ﷺ and how we relate to him. So the key to health as a community, as a society, as an ummah is found in having adab towards the Prophet ﷺ. And having awe and reverence and respect for what he has brought us without putting ourselves forward with our own preconceived notions, ideas, and biases, and theories, and so on and so forth. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us understand the rank of the Prophet and how we relate to him as the key to a healthy society. The key to a healthy community, the key to a healthy ummah. May he give us respect and ta'adheem and understanding. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyya l-ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira biqadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين